I love that. So uh, you may not be aware, but this morning uh, over at our uh, Hayes Street location, which is where uh, we meet regularly, uh, right between the vets and the mall, we, uh, we had a, a family service. Last year, we did everything here at the Columbus. Uh, and uh, if you're here and you have kids and you missed that memo, I'm sorry. But we, I know there are some kids activity things in the back. But it was just a great morning of a lot of the families in our community, families they invited to come along. And we showed that video before we did this cute kids moment. And, uh, man, it was just such a rich morning. I just want to let you guys all know that that happened this morning. As you look around and probably don't see too many families, they, they all just left you. And they're all having brunch at home now. Um, I, uh, I just want to just share for a few minutes um, uh, about the resurrection, which is appropriate. That story that those kids told is one that, uh, if you're familiar at all uh, with the Bible, these first disciples, these followers of Jesus, went around uh, announcing that story. Announcing it. Believing it was good news. And then all of a sudden, all sorts of things started to happen. One writer in the scriptures say there's like a power to this announcement. The power of the gospel. I think I should make sure that everybody in my community has no no needs among them. Uh, Because this story, this, this man who claimed to be like the son of God died on a cross and then rose again and apparently revealed himself to all these people, I should live a life of radical and reckless love. I should lay down my life for, for this king who is sort of not like a normal king where he rules over with, with, with demanding, a king that washes the feet of the, of the broken and the hurting. That this announcement led a bunch of people to begin to demonstrate what we now look at as the, the Christian faith. It was because of this announcement and Nelson Mandela's famous Easter sermon, which I encourage you to go home and read and look up. He talks about, in, in very few words, the implications of this event and the announcement that that thing happened and how it, it shifted the way he saw confronting power and the brokenness in the world. What it meant to love and be full of grace. Something about this story caused people and their identity to be rooted not in what they had accomplished, but just in sort of who they were, like a kid with a really great mom or dad who knows that there's nothing they could ever do that would make mom or dad love them less. Does anyone else have like an issue with the, with the logic there? Just be honest with yourself. A guy rises from the dead. Hey, I think I should take care of all the needs in our community. There's a bit of a, a jump there. There's a backstory. See, when we hear news and an announcement, when you hear an announcement about something that's happened, and when we hear really good news, it begins to change things right here in the moment. 
My, uh, my daughter, Harper, she's four years old, and uh, she's the best. I don't know if this resonates with too many people in this room, but there was a moment when we found out, or when I found out, I should say, that, I was, that we were pregnant. I sometimes say, like, I was pregnant, like, we were pregnant. I found that most women do not appreciate that. <laughs> so I found out, and uh, the way I found out, Corey came up the stairs, my wife Corey came up the stairs, and she handed me a box that said prenatal vitamins. Some of you know this story. Now, um, as, a, as a gentleman, I don't come across the word as often, uh, natal or prenatal. And it's not that I didn't know what it meant. It just was like having it thrust in front of me. It just it sort of took a minute. So I was handed a box. That's how my, my wife decided to tell me that we were pregnant. We were not planning on this. We were sort of told that we, uh, we probably wouldn't be able to have children um, but we definitely weren't going to start trying for a couple of years. Those of you who are newly married, I highly recommend, you know, just waiting a little bit. Uh, that again, shout out to honeymoon babies. You know, it's a thing. You caused your parents lots of grief, but we're glad you're here. <laughs> so I find out, and here's my response. There's an end table about, I don't know, this high. And uh, Corey comes up, she hands it to me. I go, natal, natal, natal. Needle, needle, oh. You said a word. And then I quickly went. I love you, honey. This is so exciting. I'm just, I'm so, I'm so excited. And I was, I was like repeating, like, like, tell her you love her. This is great. Affirm, this is good news, even though all of my body language, in the most demonstrative way possible, is... <sighs> the reason why I thought to do that was because I was reminded of another story of my best friend, Chris, who similarly found out that he was pregnant, a beautiful gift that the stork brought that he was not intending. And uh, he walked into the house. His wife went, Chris, we're pregnant. My buddy Chris went, left the house, no exaggeration, left the house, walked the circumference of his yard, repeating over and over and over a, a particular expletive, over and over and over. In my group of friends, we affectionately call it the F walk. When he came back in and opened the door, he was like, honey, I'm so excited. I love you. Let's do this thing. <laughs> what happens when all of a sudden we are confronted, we're confronted with some epic news? All of a sudden there's this moment where this news about this thing now that's kind of happened and it's, it's kind of going to happen. What's happening in that moment that would cause anybody to be anything less than like, oh, cool. Why is it not just like, huh, stoked, sweetie. By the way, if that was your response to your pregnancy, you have some emotional work to do internally. Like, fist bump. Like, counseling.
It's because what is happening? The future is rushing into the present. You don't, you're not quite calculating everything that fast in your mind, but like your whole life is sort of flashing before your eyes in a moment. It's just like everything that could be, like, oh my gosh, father-daughter dance, giving her away at the wedding. I don't even know it's a girl at that point. I mean, I'm not literally thinking about these things, but sort of you know implicitly in your gut everything's different. The future comes rushing in. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to John chapter 20. We heard the Easter story told in the book of John. He, uh, he, he's a writer who talks about uh, Jesus, he tells the story in a particular way of what Jesus did. And John in particular, all of the writers do this, but John in particular, uh, he curates his message in a very particular way. He like builds a playlist. You ever try to get somebody into a band? Like you really want them to get into this particular artist? I have a lot of friends who do not like one of my favorite bands, which is you too. And a lot of them is because they're just so optimistic and joyful and Bono's insufferable. I realize some of you don't even know who U2 is. That's all right. But I always try to create a, a, a mix. I've done this like three or four times. I have like a sad U2 mix. Like the, like the dark, weird stuff. Yes, U2 has dark, weird stuff. I give that to them. I curate in such a way that they would realize the brilliance of U2 and then come and worship, celebrate Bono. It was a joke. I have a friend who has a Frank Ocean mix. He, just, he, he built this thing so carefully and meticulously. It has like an arc to it. If you ask him, why'd you build it this way? Well, I crafted these particular songs so that you would know the genius of Frank Ocean. Hear the words of John. <laughs> How's that for an intro? John, verse 30, John chapter 20. He gets to the end of telling the resurrection story. So this is right at the end of the Easter story. Jesus rose from the dead. Mary goes in looking for a corpse, comes out full of life, being sent out to declare the good news that apparently heaven is now breaking forth in the midst of this world. That the king, who they thought was dead, who they thought was not the king they had expected, all of a sudden has risen from the dead, thus crowning him as the Messiah, the Lord, and the king over all. The king above every king, the president above every president. That apparently is what happened as she goes out. And so you hear this in 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Quick pause. Most annoying verse in the entire scriptures. That verse right there. Like John's just like, I got this secret stash, but I'm not going to tell you. Go into my death. I'm like, I would like to know what those other stories were. Thanks, John. Verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one who's going to put it all back together. He's the one um, that validates the, the, uh, the phrase, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. He's the one who validates, that's what they're at least saying, that he's the Messiah, the one that everyone's been looking for. And he's not the Messiah who's going to come uh, in a way that's just going to mandate morality and mandate what everyone's supposed to do. He's just going to love people into their futures. Apparently that's what he's going to do. He says, I wrote about all these things so that you know he's the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I wrote about the Easter story. I'm telling you about this Easter story so that you would have life in his name. Life in his name, we could spend a whole sermon series on that phrase. We're actually going to. 
Uh, come back to church next week. See you. Um, but essentially what he's saying is this is the life of the ages. Zoe is the word. It's like timeless. The timeless kind of life. It's the life that unless you are deep in the throes of apathy, you want to live. It may not be the same version I want to live, but you want to live a timeless life. A timeless life. Whatever simple task you've been given, whatever job you've been given, whatever aspirations you have, whatever lowly job you have to whatever grandiose job you have, which usually those are switched. We have a sense of a timelessness that we want to live the timeless life. I've yet to meet a person who's like, oh, to live the life of heaven. Well, my idea of heaven would be everything perfect, lying, laying down with the lamb, peace everywhere, joy, maybe lots of harps and clouds. I don't know. Whatever the perfect life is, whatever the things, right, because we know in heaven in the scriptures is this world restored. That's accurate view of heaven. I want that life, that timeless life, that life now. Imagine if I could have that life now. He's saying you can have that life now, and something is connected to this good news. Now, the first Christians walked around announcing this first, this good news. They went around um, declaring that Jesus had risen from the dead, declaring that Jesus had risen from the dead. The early church going from city to city, heralds going out and saying, hey, this thing happened. This thing happened, and it changes everything. See, there was other news that was going on around the same time. Quick flashback to uh, high school history class. Uh, you have uh, Tiberius, who later, uh, or sorry, Octavian, who later becomes Caesar Augustus, Caesar, king, emperor over all of Rome. Now, Rome at this time ruled the world from England to India. England's up here, apparently, India down here. He ruled the, the massive superpower. Now, before uh, an emperor uh, could just tweet out nonsense to let everyone know what was going on, um, in this no, I'm just saying Twitter wasn't around. That wasn't the jab. Um, before there's communication that could happen easily, you sent heralds out, news out. Now, Caesar Augustus has this, uh, well, when again, when he's Octavian, he has this win. There's a civil war that's been going on for 13 years. And so if you're an average uh, Roman citizen, you're wondering, when is this going to end? Even if you're not where the battles are happening, you're feeling the disrepair and disconnect of, of like government gone wild and a mess. And so in Egypt, uh, Octavian wins this epic battle, becomes Caesar. He doesn't get back to Rome for two years. But what he does is send out heralds out into the Roman Empire. Heralds. And that, I know a lot of you probably have like Robin Hood in your head, like someone coming up, big trumpet flag comes down, announcement. That's actually kind of close. They would go out into villages and say, hey, Caesar Augustus is king. There's a new rule of priests and peace and prosperity that is coming. Guess what? Government's going to be centralized. This is good news. And it was good news if you liked Octavian. It was good news if you liked Caesar Augustus and if you were willing to kind of worship the emperor. The point is, is that good news, this word good news was used all the time, and the Christians, the followers of Jesus around this same time, appropriate this news. Actually, not Caesar is Lord, they're saying Jesus is, is Lord. They begin to use some of this language, because what a herald would do from Rome when he came into a village, is he would say things like, um, it wasn't like, hey, I got some thoughts on how to live 
based on uh, the emperor's like ideas. I'd like you to consider this imperial way of living. It wasn't you could choose a different reality. In fact, if you didn't, they had a, a special device for you, a cross, if you did not submit. But the point is, is they were just announcing something. Hey, this happened. You either fall in line with it or don't. You fall in line with this news that he's the king now. He's going to set up government taxes, infrastructure a particular way. You fall in line with it or you don't. Christians use this same language. They are even called heralds in the New Testament. They're like, yeah, 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 there's some news happening. They would walk into areas as they're loving and serving the poor and caring for the meek. As they're caring for widows and demonstrating the love of God. They would say, hey, 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 we'd like to let you know this Jesus is risen from the dead. That hundreds of people apparently saw. Yeah, yeah, he, he's, he's king, and you can fall in line with this. You cannot. What was different from Rome is this king was so different. This king was different. And so they had a, a choice to just simply respond to this news. Because this happened. This, this, changes, this changes everything. This really happened. This, this changes everything. Or, or I could not fall in line with it. And there was no coercion. And it wasn't just, all right, so start believing a bunch of things and start behaving a certain way. No, first and foremost, it was, hey, you are loved. Christians would talk about, like, you've been saved by grace. And then it says through faith. Like, you just believe that you've been saved by grace. Like, believe that, that there's a king who actually loves you. You can understand Though for the first Christians, the difference from Rome, Rome kind of had it better, right? Rome would just mandate it. You better fall in line. This is why the church gets so jacked up when it gets into political power. Amen. No, no, we're not mad. You say you can choose, you can decide to accept the fact that you are loved, saved, forgiven, and set free. Or, or you cannot. You can believe that this is the reality. This is the thing and the hum that's happening all around you. You can believe, I think about my spirituality often, my faith is like a song, it's a song that's playing. I can, all right, when Emily is sharing her story of resurrection and new life, she's like, Jesus just showed up. It's like he was speaking and ministering in all these ways and oftentimes it's in our ache and pain that we recognize who Jesus is. It's not a crutch to lean on in some weak way, it's surrendering and realizing I'm at my end and there's a song that's playing and all of a sudden I can hear it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like this. <laughs> she's, she's getting an implant it's for like the first so time. Hard. She's never heard before. There you go. It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. <laughs> Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. <laughs> what does it sound like? Do you want to press the <laughs> It's like all of a sudden you can start to hear. Followers of Jesus were saying, hey, there's something that's changed. 
something that's, that's happening in the world that happened. I was really tempted to come out here like I am every Easter and try to make some argument and proof for the literal resurrection. I think it's kind of a waste of time. I wanted to come out and sort of unpack the robust theology that sits around this. I realized these followers of Jesus, the more I study the scriptures, they're just showing up and saying, hey, hey, this thing is happening in the world. You may not realize it. You can begin to come in line with it. Your whole life will open up in ways that you may never have imagined. You'll be able to hear things, quite literally, actually. <laughs> Analogy goes a little further. <laughs> By the way, I love the nurse in that story. I'm like, give the woman a hug. She's like, that's nice, honey. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Jeez. Break protocol for a second. <laughs> See, these things started to happen. These broken, hypocritical, messed up churches. But all of a sudden... Like historians talk about, these are not Christian historians, by the way, no agenda. I've yet to read someone who doesn't have like sort of a interesting take on how the entire nation of Rome became Christianized essentially in a couple hundred years. They go, that's not how ideas spread, especially that day and age. They don't happen that fast. So they, they're not by any means espousing that somebody rose from the dead, but they, I mean, you, you <laughs> Email me, I will send you some articles. They just go, something happened. <laughs> Literally, you got people with no faith, no Christian background, and they're going, something happened. That doesn't happen like that, and all of a sudden, all of these people are willing to die believing that they saw a dead man rise. This is just a little cult. This thing should have faded out. But as we're going to read in a minute, there's over 500 people who saw this, 500 people. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news. That's what that means. I preach to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. For what I received, I passed on to you is of first importance. The first thing, first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, like according to the story. Our sins needed to be taken care of. We needed to know and see that we were loved by the Father. We needed to see it played out. We needed something to happen in the mystery of the universe for us to like just own that actually your sins are not held against you and you're forgiven and you can move from a posture of constantly choosing death to being loved and shifting into life. He, he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. This is what I want to pass on to you. First importance, he was buried and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then the sisters and then the 12. <laughs> After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have died. This is what happens. This is what happens. This is what happens. So in Acts 4, the early church says the power of the resurrection was so mightily at work within them that there are no needy. Again, we're back to where we started. What? Well, because when you begin to trust this story that there's a different king and you have a different allegiance and that king loves you without you needing to produce or do anything, 
that you're doing everything, every act of love and blessing and kindness and joy and generosity and martyrdom for things that are right and standing up for the oppressed. Those, all those things stem from the fact that you don't need to do those to earn his favor. You do those in response to his favor. You do them in response to the, well, this is, I'm living under a different king. I got a, I got a different president going on. I got a different thing, a different lane. That's why there's all this epic language in scripture, the king above all kings. Like above all of them, you lay the land out. Every cultural ideology, there's something above it. There's the first things first, and Easter crowns him. Easter also has implications because it shows us in his death on Good Friday and in the resurrection shows us what he's like. This is a king who lays down his life for his people. That's a weird king. That's a weird king. The way of Jesus is super weird. I can't do anything to unpack that for you. Go read C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller, and even they do their best, but they can't get you all the way there. you got to begin to just trust that something happened. There's an announcement. All I'm doing here, I scrapped all my notes for this talk, by the way, last night. All, all I am here to do is a herald to just say, hey, this happened, and I, like Emily, like probably some of the folks here sitting next to you, this story changes everything. When you begin to trust this story, these first Christians began to feel loved, cared for. There was a, an existential ache that was lifted because I'm not on the throne. I don't have to earn it all. There was a humility and a gratitude and a peace that set over these people. It began to wake, wake a movement. There's no pressure. There's no coercion. The end of 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. First Christians believed the implications of this event were that you don't have to fear death anymore. People love coming to our church for a lot of different reasons. I don't understand them all. But... <laughs> But one of them is I don't do this, and I'm going to do it. Do you know where you're going to go when you die? They believe that actually you could begin to live the life of heaven now and that it extended on. It was the olam haba is what it is in Hebrew, the life of the ages. It begins now. Yeah, we love to talk about that because then we can talk about social issues, which I love and is central to the gospel. But but it extends on and you will die and you know internally you have an ache for a better world. And Lewis says, I shouldn't have an ache for something that doesn't exist. I shouldn't have an ache for something that doesn't exist. I humbly submit to you. I believe it exists and all Jesus says, all the first Christians say, just believe this story. Just believe this. Allow me to be your king. I will not steer you wrong. Trust this story, and you do not have to worry about life after this one. There's no worry. Death, where is your sting? I say this every Easter. Imagine a bunch of people walking around Providence who have no fear of death and love in their hearts. That should mess some things up.
right, now I'm ready to preach my sermon. <laughs> Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. I take great joy in that. Hey, every act of love and kindness and beauty that aligns with the things of Jesus isn't in vain. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around us. It will go on in God's good world. It will keep going. Every act of love and beauty, it's not in vain. It's not for nothing. It's not to leave some random semblance of a legacy. The timeless life, the Zoe life, the life in his name is that you don't have to labor in vain. Everything we do is a part of a bigger story. It's a part of something that started here and goes on. It's really hard to come up with really good evolutionary reasons for doing good things other than passing some general sense of love on to the next generation. And we act like we keep making progress, yet this has been the bloodiest century in history. And yet the church continues to move and the kingdom continues to go. And even when the church falls apart, some of you have been burned by the church. The beauty of the church is its self-corrective nature. It's constantly leaning in on itself and rooting out the hypocrisy. It's prophetic in its very foundation because we have a savior who came in and wrecked the religious establishment because he's not looking for a new religion. He's looking for a relationship with you. And he's looking for you to trust this other story. My friend Chris came back into the house. Or I like to imagine my friend Chris at the door just before. He's just done his walk. And he's at the door. He could have run. He could have, he could have said, I'm not going to live that story. Some of you, like that's your parents' story. Some of you maybe have been left by a husband or wife alone. It's heartbreaking, but he could have done it. He could have just left and abandoned. Could have gone and lived on the other side of the world. Right? He could have not have engaged this announcement. It still would be true. It'd still be a little baby. There'd still be cries nine months from now still is going to happen. I'm just here to let you know something happened. And as sure as that woman all of a sudden being able to hear, we all know the sounds there. She couldn't be sure. I humbly submit to you that before you hit brunch today, God might want to just jack up your whole life. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus,
Thank you for this story. This, this great like, story that appeals like deep down in our heart to what we want to be true. And as, uh, as J.R. Tolkien says, like, it, it's, the, it's the myth that is true. It's the story that we want to believe so bad in our hearts and happens to be true. Lord, we thank you for the cross and the empty tomb and the power that it brings, the comfort that it brings, and the love that it brings. And most of us have our eyes closed and head bowed. you're here today and you just sort of know it's time. It's like I've been fighting this for so long. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have like, like the blind man. And there's a story of the blind man in the New Testament. He just goes around going, look, I don't know anything about this Jesus. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. Maybe today it's I was deaf and now I feel like I can hear this story. I want to trust this story. Today, if it makes sense to you deeper way that God will raise you from the dead and give you life. He will hear you. He will answer this prayer. I want to just invite you to just pray this under your breath. Jesus, I give you my life. Or maybe that's even too long for some of us. Maybe today, just under your breath, you just say yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, this story. Yeah. That's true, and if that's your if you're a king, and you love me and all of my mess and all of the wreckage that I am, and you know every little part of me and every twisted part of me, every beautiful part of it, all of it, Lord, that you would be my, my my king, my savior, you would wash my feet, you would lay down your life for me, and that you're singing a song in this world that I can come into line with. There's a story that I can come into line with. Yes. Say yes. Jesus, I give you my life. If you're here and that's your prayer, I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Just believing that there might be a few yeses. Might be a, a few, Jesus, I give you my life. I pray over the trust because it's nothing clever I can say I just I trust Lord in the power of this announcement and like the first followers of Jesus to the great saints August to Augustine to Mandela to Dr. King to Billy Grant to Adam every person who's walked the way of Jesus who has been woken to this story Lord I pray that you do it again right now pray for these, these folks Lord, who are, did not expect to have a moment today. So with just eyes bowed, just as we begin to close, um, eyes closed, <laughs> head bowed. Um, 
I, I want to invite you to just a quick moment of, of courage. If you are here and you said, yes, Jesus, I gave you my life. This is a moment for you. There's something happening in your heart. Maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in your head. I just want to invite you just for a moment, just for a quick moment. Like so many followers of Jesus before you or people who are entering into this journey, there's a moment of courage. Was this a moment, a dot on the line where I just say, yeah. Would you just, just right now, just put your hand up just for a moment. Just say yes. I want to trust this story. I want to receive this grace and this love. Just throw your hand up for a moment. Say yes. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. To the rest of us, say this to you, Jesus paid far too high a price for you to just survive, to just exist. We are invited to live. We are invited to love. We are invited to a life in his name. John told us this story so that we would believe who he is and that we would have the life of Jesus imparted to us. That we would be people who step out of the Columbus Theater on April 1st, 2018, and see a world through a lens of the kingdom, who look out onto a city with love and the spirit at their backs, ready to raise life in a culture where there is so much cynicism and death, to be people who love anyway. So I pray for the followers of Jesus in the room, for Sanctuary Church today, folks, that you have a yes to say to now. Where is Jesus not Lord over? But I pray in this moment you reveal where in our finances and our job and the way we're treating our spouse and the simple acts of love that aren't acts of love right now, the places where we've not surrendered ourselves to this incredible adventure of the life of heaven now, this incredible adventure of joining you, the Bible says, and putting it all back together in the smallest of acts to the largest of them. There are many of us today who need to say yes to some new things in light of this announcement. Lord, I renounce fear that exists in this room. There's fear of so much. And you say over and over and over, don't fear. Death, pain, evil, brokenness, it's lost its sting. It's there in a broken world, but it doesn't sting because we know who we are and we know whose we are. I pray for freedom folks who just feel just bound by things they can't shake. May we see some resurrection up in here. We may have life in his name. Life in his name. This beautiful, glorious, victorious name. This Savior of all. This Savior Yeah.